0: On October 31st, South Sudanese rebel leader Riek Machar entered the capital city of Juba for the first time in two years. He was there for a peace ceremony. Earlier this summer, Machar and South Sudanese President Salva Kiir signed a peace deal, formally ending a civil war that killed hundreds of thousands of people and displaced over a million more. The ceremony in Juba was intended as a confidence building measure toward the implementation of the peace deal. On the line with me to discuss the peace deal is Alan Boswell. He is a senior analyst at the International Crisis Group who has been following events in South Sudan for years. We discuss the roots of the conflict, what led to this peace agreement, and whether or not this agreement can succeed. A quick note before we begin, this episode came about because Alan Boswell is a listener to the show, and it's a good reminder that you should reach out to me if there's an interesting topic you think should be shared with this community of listeners and beyond. And this community is strong. People who listen to the show more or less have a professional interest in wanting to more deeply understand the context of issues in global affairs This is particularly true of the kinds of issues we highlight on this show, which tend to be around topics that don't often make the headlines and are not often the subject of sustained attention from the mainstream media. In short, this is a community of impact, and if you want to reach this community, then reach out to me, you can can do so using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. All right, now here is my conversation with Alan Boswell of the International Crisis Group. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.
1: Right. So this is actually the, the second uh, peace deal that's been signed since South Sudan fell into the civil war in 2013. And the reason that uh, this recent peace celebration in Juba was, was so significant was because uh, during the first one, uh, Riek Machar, the rebel leader, came to Juba and there ended up being clashes uh, within a few weeks of him uh, arriving and taking up the post of vice presidency. And then he was chased out of the country so him him coming back uh which he did once again to juba was seen as a sign of that this time they might be serious there was there was some concern originally that he wasn't going to come back at all
0: he was basically in exile right in the in the DRC so so he
1: fled into Congo um and then they actually this was back in 2016 um he wasn't there very long actually the UN had to evacuate him and then he was flown to Sudan Um, And then from Sudan, he went on a medical visit to South Africa and then was put under house arrest in South Africa. Then he was where where he was for over a year. Then when the peace talks restarted, um, he was allowed back into the region. And now he's basically based out of Khartoum in Sudan
0: okay, and but it, the significance it was significant that he was allowed back in Juba, but he's you know we're speaking in early November um is he still there now, or is he as he sort of back in Khartoum at this point?
1: No, so he's back in Khartoum um he just came for the day uh the significance was that people it wasn't clear f- um for a while uh whether or not the South Sudan government would allow him to come back. Um, but it was also unclear if he himself would feel comfortable coming back, uh, given that given that uh, uh, last time he was, he was chased out of the country. I should say the peace celebration was attended by the heads of state of Sudan and Uganda, as well as other regional heads of state. And really, Sudan and Uganda really kind of led this peace effort. Um, and they are the two main external parties to the war. And so that was a huge part of this peace celebration, too, was having Bashir, uh, President Bashir from Sudan and President Museveni of Uganda there as well.
0: Um, so I, I want to focus much of our conversation on this peace deal, whether or not it will endure, what elements made it success. But before we get there, um, I'd love to have you explain the roots of of this conflict, which, as you said, broke out in 2013 and sort of descended and became one of the region's worst conflicts and most awful humanitarian crises as well that's ongoing to this day but can you sort of take us back to 2013 and sort of set the scene for how this conflict erupted initially
1: right well so south sudan achieved its independence um in 2011 and of course there was a lot of there was a lot of hope i was there at the time actually working as a journalist um and you know an extreme amount of hope um and also there was a there was a large us backing for that effort Um, In 2013, the ruling party, the SPLM, which um, sort of had a monopoly on on power in South Sudan um, after independence, uh, a a war broke out basically between leaders of the two main ethnic groups um, over a a battle over who would be the the chairman of the SPLM party and then then would more or less de facto be the, assumed to be the next president um, of the country. Um, because uh, whoever was the chairman was presumed to to win the election, so kind so of like a one party state out. this
0: was like the the liberation um party, so it had like by far the the, the most political popular support this was the party <laughs> right.
1: right and right, and essentially what happened is uh during the you know the liberation war, actually more southerners killed more South sunnis killed each other than actually North sunnis did it was both a north south war to degree, it was also a, a South-South war oftentimes uh, within South Sudan. And so to a certain degree, when South Sudan achieved independence, that that the war between North Sudan and South Sudan was, um, was over, but the, the internal issues within South Sudan was never really resolved. So a lot of these issues got postponed until after independence. There was sort of a and agreed upon truce among South Sunnis to, uh, because they all wanted independence essentially, but to sort of resolve their own power struggles and, or sorry, to push back their own power struggles until after independence. Um, and then that, that really came to fruition uh, quite quickly, actually, um, after, after achieving independence and unfortunately, and then they've been unable to sort of resolve this conflict for the past five years.
0: And so, what emerged from this power struggle? Then, like, who are the sort of contending political leaders um, upon independence uh, from North Sudan, Sudan proper? Right. So you
1: have um, so so the peace agreement that was signed between Sudan um, and uh, who has become South Sudan was, was signed with a with the rebel leader John Garang, um, who had an excellent relationship with the U.S. and was quite charismatic. Uh, tragically, he died six months after that peace deal was signed in 2005, the one that led to South Sudan's independence. Um, and he died in a helicopter crash and somewhat murky circumstances. And and so this opened up a, a sort of a power vacuum within the South Sudan's ruling party. Um, the guy who ended up uh, taking, replacing him is a guy named Salva Kiir, who's now the, the president of South Sudan. Um, so, so he's still the president. Um, there was also a power dispute that had arisen at various times in the 1990s um, um that was an ethnic conflict primarily between the Dinka which is uh, the the group that John Garang and Salva Kiir, the current president is from and the Nuer who is the second largest ethnic group um and and the leader on that side is is Riyak Machar and he's currently the leader of the opposition party uh the main opposition and and rebel group um and so these are the two leaders that then came together in Juba uh, very recently, as this uh, in this mm-hmm. peace celebration, but but that's the main power struggle, and then you have a lot of other parties and a lot of other actors and um, and uh, many other ethnic groups in the country that we can talk about also.
0: And and so, Rick Machar was the vice president. He was basically fired, right, or sacked by Salva Kiir, and that uh, is really what erupted the fighting in two thousand and thirteen
1: yeah he was sacked the, the fighting didn't break out immediately after he was sacked. There was about a six month period um but I would say the origin of this was he was sacked because um uh, because of this power dispute within within the ruling party um which was that uh uh Riyak Machari, the vice president was was contending against the president for the chairmanship of the party. So out of that, and it wasn't just him, there was also other political leaders who were involved as well. Um, And so out of that, uh, Kier ended up uh, sacking him as well as other people. And then that just led to escalating tensions, which eventually broke out in in clashes uh, in the Capitol. And then everything quickly, quickly disintegrated and and violence spread um, across the country because there was there was a massacre in juba um of the Nuer, the ethnic group that the vice president was from and then uh groups in the Nuer mobilized very quickly um sort of for revenge um uh, as well as the 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 army itself the spla quickly split on ethnic lines and it and it led to a, a massive civil war now the other thing that i would say is that this the dynamic that i'm describing very much uh, describes the first two years of the war quite heavily, but since then, there's been uh, the war has spread to to many other parts of the country mm-hmm. um, and involved a lot more, a lot, lot many more groups. And so, part of the question people have about this peace deal is if is if a political settlement just between those two actors is really enough anymore to actually mm-hmm. uh, end the conflict.
0: And, and I mean, it's worth emphasizing though that this conflict in South Sudan was one of the worst humanitarian crises probably outside syria the second worst humanitarian crisis drove a lot of refugees over the border to uganda and and, and elsewhere um and took on really awful as you said ethnic uh, undertones as well um displaced millions but now as you said we we have this peace deal can you talk a, a little bit about what this peace deal entailed, but first, sort of, how is it? Sort of, now there is a peace deal. You said earlier that there was a failed peace deal earlier. What, um, sort of, what forces aligned to inspire the parties to come together now in what seems to be a meaningful uh, agreement?
1: Sure. Well, after the the first peace deal collapsed, there was a period in time in which there was a hope uh, that maybe people would be able to find a different way to resolve the, the, the war besides trying this same power sharing government again. Um, and I, uh, um, and what led to uh, the current new peace is you know, another, another, um, year plus, you know, over a year more of, of quite devastating conflict and with really devastating humanitarian, uh, consequences and really no, no, um, no political process that looked like it would resolve the war on its own. So so there was there was then a, an effort, um partly partly uh driven by uh the US and um Ambassador Nikki Haley um partially uh, really put pressure on the on the government um and the region to sort of renew peace efforts. Um and so we ended uh we, we ended back up uh, with another peace deal, another go at this. The the peace deals are not totally similar, and they do. Um, there was a lot of sort of shifts in the regional politics that uh, that occurred as well. Uh, the first peace deal was very much negotiated by, led by Ethiopia, and this this recent one um, what was pretty much brokered by the Sudanese with with the Ugandans as well.
0: What what did Nikki Haley do to uh, push the parties towards peace that say like John Kerry didn't do the first time around?
1: Well, of course, the U- U.S. has been a, a strong actor on this uh, from the beginning. Um, John Kerry was was very, you know, John Kerry basically uh, structured the way this this peace deal is modeled in the very early weeks of the war. Um, he he struck this uh, a, a deal that that you know the the conflict would end by. Um, President Kieran and and, uh, and Vice President Riek basically retaking their positions and and then forming a transitional government to go to elections. Um, I, the issue is that that fell up That this peace deal, that peace deal fell apart in uh, summer of 2016, July 2016, and basically the Obama administration at that point um, never really formulated a new policy on how to on how to handle uh, South Sudan after that. After that original peace deal collapsed, um, so then then of course we entered a new administration. Um, what what Nikki Haley really did is she just she raised the issue and and took on a much more hawk, hawkish tone than actually what the Obama, Obama administration had been willing to do. Um, prior had really, um, amped up the rhetoric against against the South Sudanese government. Um, there's now been an arms embargo at the UN Security Council, which the U.S. Um, uh, didn't always support. Um, originally. Um, there's been a lot of targeted sanctions, um, but the main, but then she also flew into uh, Juba and met with president Kiir and demanded he return to peace talks. Um, so, so those sort of, you know, that sort of high level engagement, I think really did uh, make a difference. And,
0: and so can you explain like, what are the terms of this peace agreement uh, that was signed and when was the, the agreement signed and, and sort of, where are we in, in sort of the peace process?
1: Right. So the, the, um, the basic terms of it are that, uh, uh, the rebel leader, Riak Machar comes back, he becomes first vice president again. Um, there are all, there are also four other vice presidents who are included in this deal, um, including, uh, two more from the opposition side and then two appointed by the government. So you have this, you know, increasingly kind of unwieldy giant bloated power sharing government whose main purpose is to just try to keep out spoilers, um, from From derailing this process, South Sudan's such a fragile state that um it's very difficult um, and pretty much impossible for the government to for any government um, to sort of rule the country only by force um, uh, so there's there's a need for political consensus that they've had a really hard time achieving and then and then this this uh, government, which hasn't been formed yet but is supposed to be formed, would then in theory lead the country back to elections. The core issue is that. There's yet to be actually a political deal between between these these main parties um that doesn't involve them just competing uh against each other uh you know and continuing this power struggle um all over what what, what do you mean by that is, yeah, and what I mean by that is uh is a place where it doesn't have one unified army each one has their own group um and in some ways the mantra of you know, uh, war is politics by other means. Um, and, in some ways in South Sudan, politics is war by other means as well. Um, and so, and so when they're heading to elections, the, the, the challenge is you're, if you're heading to elections in a place that's, that's really fragile, has a long, um, uh, a lot of, a lot of, um, trauma, um, and you have groups with their own armies basically competing against each other. And so that's, and so twice now you've had, you've had basically power struggles, um, between these groups uh lead to actual violence. And there's um and the hope is that eventually these parties can kind of compete without turning to violence, but that's a that's a difficult transition to make. Uh,
0: I, I um, guess how confident can we be that this peace deal will survive given that it just sort of sounds like the deal is a lot like the way the government was before fighting broke out in 2013—that is, with Riek Machar back as as vice president—I mean, you know, his sort of expulsion, his his sort of mounting a political and and military campaign against Salva Kiir, and Salva Kiir returning in kind—you know—left like 300,000 people dead, according to uh, you know the, the one estimate. Uh, you know, what? How can we be sure, or is there any? Do you have any confidence that this deal will survive in any meaningful way?
1: Well, Mark, you've raised a, a really a possibly the critical point, um, which is everyone's been the, the war has been so devastating that everyone's been just searching for any options to sort of halt it. Um, and, and in many ways, people are just hopeful that they just get past this step one and just form this government and stop fighting. But then when you talk about how they resolve this this deeper issue, which is that multiple groups want to rule um and there hasn't yet to be any accommodation between them um this gets at just the core the core structural issue uh which is you know south sudan was was uh you know formed a state um you know a lot of people would argue it formed a state um without having really met the the conditions um beforehand um institutionally um, and so how to cross this bridge, how to sort of reverse engineer a state um, is a is a core question and how to make it so that a, a group that's so diverse um, and and no and no is really able to win militarily, how to get them to to share power more formally, I think, is a, is a really key question. I think I think something that needs to be given more thought is how to structure the political institutions in such a way so that all these parties don't see it as a winner take all fight for the center. Um, which is really the driving dynamic causing this is that everyone keeps looking ahead towards a a power struggle in which only one party basically comes out on top and and that's and and that this current peace deal doesn't actually resolve that issue.
0: Can I ask you a little bit about like the political economy of the, of this conflict in terms of the um, oil uh, exports, which I take it um, are not really flowing at, at the moment, or or they could be. I know for a while they stopped being exported. You know, South Sudan has has a lot of oil, but no real way to um, move that oil into international markets unless it passes through um, Sudan proper. Um, so, w- what what's the status of of that oil in the oil industry?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, so another answer to your previous question about what, what led to this current peace deal, and another answer to that question, um, besides the the international pressure, is that regionally there's been a shift where uh, South Sudan exports its oil through Sudan, and, and oil production has really plummeted uh, throughout this war. Sudan profits quite a bit when South Sudan is pumping its oil, and the Sudanese economy is under crisis right now. So... Uh, Sudan's president uh, Omar al-Bashir uh, very much pushed this current pre deal because he was hoping to get oil production uh, to jump again um, in in South Sudan and therefore benefit both the the South Sudanese and the the Sudanese economy quite a bit. But when it comes to political economy, uh, this is a core driver of the war uh, as well, which is you have this winner take all political system in South Sudan. And when we say winner take all, we really mean Ah, uh, winner-take-all, because there's almost no economy in South Sudan outside of the oil industry um, and the humanitarian industry, um, and beyond that, it's it's largely subsistence. Uh, so, 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 really, you have these political parties competing over over uh, who gets to monopolize the oil rents, and corruption is sky high, and pretty much the international community is providing everything that qualifies as a government service
0: in the country. So the, so I mean does oil revenue figure into the peace agreement at all?
1: Well, it figures in in two ways. There's a formal way, um and then there's the and then there's the sort of informal political settlement way. I'll, I'll say will the, the the informal side of it um is is more critical which is which is um both the 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 need the need to start pumping the oil again um and the the shared interest there between uh the Sudanese president and the South Sudanese president um is really the, the key dynamic that really uh shifted the region back towards peace was this desire to get the oil pumping again um and and uh and that oil money in many ways um is necessary in the South sunni side in order to uh some people would say uh create a patronage piece and sort of be able to afford to bring back some of these some of these opposition leaders um mm. into a government
0: mm-hmm. uh, like so basically that, buy so buy' basically off sort, sort of, of thing
1: a buy them off sort of thing um which which is which is how South Sudan kind of held together this government uh in the past before independence as they had they got the, the, this wealth sh- they, they started receiving their oil revenue before they even achieved independence. And this is one of the ways they were able to mm-hmm. to sort of hold this political system together uh, before reaching independence. Um, and then there was an oil shutdown that occurred right after independence, which cut off the oil and kind of starved these, mm-hmm. these patronage systems of funds. Um, and, 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 and a lot of the political tensions really started rising um, at the peers. So, so somewhat, so, so some would argue the, you know, South Sudan needs to get its oil pumping, um, in order to fund this, um, a sort of patronage system. The, um, of course that itself is, is hardly a, a great foundation to, to sort of build a state that, um, you know, that, that still offers almost no services to its people. So it's not a, it's not a very exciting, um, uh,
0: proposition. So so maybe just to conclude what, um indicators uh, events or or moves will you be looking towards that will suggest to you one way or another um, how this peace deal is evolving like what will suggest to you that it's moving in the sure. right direction and and what might suggest to you it's it's sort of moving in the wrong direction
1: well in the in the right direction um it'll be whether or not they actually form uh, this this unity government because, um, because right now they had this peace celebration, but people have not come back and 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 created this new government with five vice presidents that hasn't occurred the The other one is that they agreed to unify uh the different uh armed groups in the country, so both the army and the uh and and the rebel groups agreed to form one army that is a process that's incredibly fraught and you know almost no one thinks it will happen. But if it doesn't happen, it then becomes a question of what do you, how do you run this with government with effectively multiple, uh, multiple armies in it? Um, The the obvious, the, you know, the things to watch out for are clearly that the parties keep on, keep on fighting with each other. Um, Also, just kind of how they how they talk about it, their rhetoric, Um, the, the challenge with a peace deal like this, which we saw in when it fell, when the previous one fell apart, is that it's sort of piling things back up again so in some ways you're piling more risk into the system and as much as it can uh, when you push when you put everyone back together again it can also fall back apart and that falling apart is also when most of the political violence occurs um so 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 it's so it's a risky form um, it's a high risk high reward sort of peace process so it's one of those you don't want to put too much you don't want to push it too hard because if you push it and it falls back apart you've you're you know more people have probably died and you're probably at a worse situation than you were before so it's a it's a really challenging balancing act for everyone who wants to help end this work they also don't want to to make things worse in the process
0: all right well well alan thank you so much for explaining this this all to to me and to everyone and thank you for being a listener to the show and for reaching out
1: yeah thanks mark thanks for having me
0: on All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Alan. I. I sincerely hope this uh, this piece of cord holds. And uh, as I said, at the outset of the show. Please do feel free to reach out to me anytime. You can do so using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com or hitting me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg. And as always, a big thank you to the Global Development Institute at the University of Manchester for being an ongoing supporter of the show. We'll see you next time. Bye.